Creative Babble. So, John, throughout this whole season, we've been tracking Tim Jones' story. And unlike most of Wally's alleged victims, he actually chose to fight back. Yeah, I think that Wally made a big mistake in picking Tim Jones because he thought Tim Jones was probably a lowlife. And he didn't realize that he's dealing with somebody who's a former Marine and somebody who's willing to fight back and doesn't have a bad record. So now he has this situation where he, uh, Wally's being called on the carpet. I tell you, though, it's hard to believe, but it's trust. It's true. I, I still have trouble understanding it, that this could actually happen. It's just amazing. Well, Wally was God here. I mean, he, yeah. he was going to be just busting people's houses, no warrants, nothing. Talk to me about your state of mind when you got put in that cell that first night in jail. I'm not sure I can find the words to explain it. Just that I cannot believe that something like this could happen to me. First of all, it could happen, period. That a cop could, could just do this without any, no ramification, nothing. But I knew I was not going to plead guilty to probation. I, I could not live with myself. Even at that point, you were thinking, I got to fight. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I guess when a guy really believes he's innocent, he's going to fight like hell. I will not take one day of probation. If I get up there in front of a jury, they look at my record, and they look at me, and they think I'm a mess dealer, then I guess that's the way it is. Yeah. But I was convinced that I could convince somebody that I was not a mess dealer. Not only did Tim Jones want to take this thing to trial, but he also took an even more dramatic step. Yeah, Tim Jones and his ex-girlfriend, Lisa, they reached out to the FBI. They thought some of the things that Wally was doing and had done to them uh, were possibly criminal. And so they started pursuing that avenue. When I got out of jail, I called them. And uh, me, me and Lisa met with them. What'd they say? Did they believe you right off the bat? Or? I, they said they had, they had heard about Wally, that they, I think they knew there was something going. Of course, they don't give you any information. But we sat there, I don't know, maybe almost an hour there in front of the dollar store. And uh, So you met them outside of a dollar store? Yeah, we, we met and sat in the vehicle. Yeah. And what happened? Yeah, we just, he just went through his questions and asked us what happened, how did it happen. Two of them sat with uh, Lisa and myself, about an hour. And then, and then did you hear from them after that? Or? No. no uh, I think he, there was a one or two follow-up questions. And then uh, when Wallace was circling my sister's house afterwards, I got a little concerned. And I wrote him, I wrote him a, an email about that. And they said that they would, would look into it. And, and I've never heard anything back from them since. Did you get the feeling that they were taking you seriously? Or? Yes. Yeah, I did. I did. By the time they left, I was pretty confident that they were going to uh, to look into it at least. So, John, what typically happens next in an FBI investigation like this? There's a lot of bureaucracy within the FBI, so things are not going to move fast. But I think from Tim Jones's perspective, at least the investigation has begun. But for the most part, it's just a waiting game. The FBI is aware of the situation. But meanwhile, these constables are just going around making arrests, seizing tons of cash. There's literally nothing stopping them. There's just no one overseeing what any of these constables are doing. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what Mark Atkins Sr. told me when I spoke to him. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like giving the fox the keys to the chicken house. You're not a bad man, you're not From the creators of Twisted and Pretend, 
This is Criminal Conduct Season 2, an investigative podcast about rogue constables in Pulaski County, Kentucky. There are over 90,000 people missing at any time, and over half a million are reported missing every year. And that's just in the United States. I'm Mike Morford. And I'm Jess Betancourt. And in our podcast, Missing Persons, we discuss cases of people who have gone missing under mysterious circumstances. And we're joined in each episode by guests who are either related to the missing person, investigating their disappearance, or advocating for answers in the case. Missing Persons is available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and there are dozens of episodes to binge on right now. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. We've heard a lot from people who've had run-ins with both Constable Wallace and Constable Baldock. Yeah, a lot of these people have criminal past, but the nature of their arrest seems so over the top. But today we have one more story. A story of a person who says that Constable Wallace violated his civil rights. All right, so on October 2nd of 2018, David Jones was at the apartment of his friend, Michelle Hall. It's about, I don't know, four in the morning, and... They are awoken to Constables Wallace, Baldock, and a Somerset police officer inside their apartment. They didn't hear any knocking, nothing. It turns out that they went to the apartment manager and got a key to get inside the apartment. Yeah, Wallace, Baldock, and a Somerset police officer entered the apartment with their guns drawn, holding flashlights. I called David Jones to hear what he had to say about this. And they had a key to your friend's house? Yes, he lived in there apartment building and uh, the manager gave them a key hmm that early in the morning yes sir and what prompted the the cops to come to her house did somebody call the cops uh, they had a search warrant with somebody else's name on it. so what they were doing in the apartment is they were executing an arrest warrant or a search warrant on another individual that was completely unrelated to either David Jones or his friend. So they got the wrong guy? I mean, how often does that happen? It doesn't happen very often because law enforcement should be surveilling the location. They should know who's inside, who's coming and going. They want to have all that information. I mean, one, they want to make sure they got the right person, but it's for officer safety. I mean, you need to know what you're walking into. So there's usually a lot of time and effort spent verifying an address, verifying that the person is associated with that address, and then knowing that the person's in there. It doesn't do them any good to go in and get somebody if they're not there. So um, this does happen, but it's very rare. It usually shows up in the media if it does happen because it's such a bad situation. Yeah, so you would think that at this point, these constables would realize that they made a mistake and they would apologize and they would go home, but that didn't happen. So that's exactly what should be happening. They should be apologizing. They should be offering and saying that they're going to pay for everything that they broke. Uh, They should probably be giving them their sergeant or lieutenant's information and saying this person will be in contact with you. We're going to take care of everything. We're really sorry for the inconvenience. This was just a big misunderstanding. And they should just be doing everything they could to right that wrong. That's what should be happening. However, that is not in any way how the constables handled this situation. Not at all. And like they searched to this person and he wasn't there. Nobody even knew him. He didn't live there. I didn't know him and she didn't know him. The guy on the search warrant. Right. Hmm. 
Wow. And so your name wasn't on that search warrant. Her name wasn't on that search warrant. And you don't know the guy that was on the search warrant. Nobody you know, knew who he was. What were you guys doing? You said it was 4 o'clock in the morning? Sleeping. <laughs> wow. You know, my friend that lives there, she has gout. And sometimes I, when it flares up, she can't walk. And that was the reason I was there. And they uh, came through the door, uh, pulled guns on me and, and handcuffed me and uh, took me in the uh, kitchen and uh, put me on my uh, knees. And she was in a bedroom asleep. And she had a walker and they didn't help her. Wouldn't let, let her uh, get her walker. Just got her out of bed and like she had to uh, hop on one foot into her uh, living room. That must have been terrifying, huh? To wake up that way? Yeah, to uh, be uh, woke up with guns in my faces, yeah. So they had a key, they opened the door, and they walked in on you guys sleeping. And you woke up to a bunch of cops right. with guns. Right. They didn't announce they were. They just opened the door, flashlights in my face, told me don't move, uh, handcuffed me, and took me in the uh, kitchen, put me on my knees, and uh, one of the constables uh, kept a gun in my head. Do you remember which one? No. They took some of my medicine, blood pressure, and they took some of her medicine. Some of her medicine was uh, pain pills. I asked, were we being arrested? Mm -hmm. And he said, no, they were just getting evidence. And they uh, took all the money that I had. And how much was that? $826. Mm. That's a lot of money. So Javier, talk a little bit about the constables having David Jones's friend hop through the living room without a walker. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Wallace, Baldock, and this other Somerset police officer spent roughly 30 to 45 minutes inside this small apartment. So it's important to note that neither David Jones nor Michelle Hall, his friend, had any illegal controlled substance on them, all right? And they still searched their apartment and took some prescription pills as quote-unquote evidence. Yeah, exactly. And they took money. So here you go. So you're, what you're looking at is these constables and this officer are in the wrong house. And their mindset is, hey, as long as we're here, let's just see what we can do. And they're looking around and they're, they're taking prescriptions, legal prescriptions, and they're taking money. They're just robbing these people. That's all they're doing. They're robbing them. And they got the wrong house. And nobody was arrested that night. Well, at least not yet. I couldn't uh, pay my rent, none of my bills. Did you ever get that money back? No, I'm still trying to get my money back. So they took your money and they said they're collecting it as evidence, but they weren't going to arrest you. No, they didn't arrest me that night. But guess what? A year later, on November 18th, 2019, David Jones and his friend Michelle were arrested on drug charges and were held in jail for seven days. Yeah, they ended up charging him with drug trafficking of his own prescription pills. That's ridiculous. Those were his own pills. And they charged you for drug trafficking? Right. For your own prescription pills? Right. Why didn't you plead guilty? <laughs> because I wasn't guilty for anything. 
Yeah, so what happened to his female friend who was also in the apartment with him? Well, Michelle Hall was in the same situation, but her case went a completely different route. She actually pleaded guilty to the charges. Her lawyer didn't do her job. Her lawyer uh, kept telling her if she don't take this uh, deal that the uh, prosecutors was uh, offering, she was going to uh, prison. No, she's never been in any uh, trouble like that before. That seems like a big ordeal for something that was obviously not even supposed to happen. Right now, I got a lawsuit against him for uh, violating my civil rights. Have you ever had any run-ins with the law prior to this? Uh, yes. They uh, uh, gave me a... A year for uh, trafficking. I think I was charged in uh, 2008. Ten years prior to the incident with Constable Wallace. David Jones was convicted of trafficking crystal meth back in 2009. But since then, he hasn't had any run-ins with the law. Are you you working now or are you retired? I'm uh, disabled. You know, I'm 70 years old right now. When I can't pay my uh, uh, bills, I didn't have no uh, place to live. Yeah. yeah if I was getting uh, $600 a month, how am I going to find a place to live, pay what bills I, d- I did have, and for me to feed myself on $300 a month? And what, what about now? How are you getting by? How am I getting by? Yeah. I'm not. Before the uh, weather got uh, real cold, I was in my car. Well, I've never been uh, homeless until then. I'm too old to go back to uh, so-called being a criminal. You know. <laughs> David Jones says he can't afford rent and is now homeless. And he can't even get public housing due to the fact that he has a felony on his record. Yeah, David Jones's charges were dropped, but his friend Michelle Hall, since she pled guilty, she's on probation. So the question is, what can be done about these constables? Is there anything that can be done to stop these guys? We'll find out after the break. What are the politicians doing to control this? Well, they're doing nothing. The Commonwealth attorney told me two weeks ago, he said, well, I don't think Wally's a crooked cop. <laughs> our local politicians, ain't, they're, they're behind him. I don't understand why our own local law enforcement and our own county attorney didn't stop it. Because, and I think the only reason is because they were, they were getting money too. You told me something today that should really scare the hell out of all law enforcement is that if you see a blue light, you don't want to stop because you're scared. You try to call Frankfurt or you try to complain on one of them, see how far you get. You get nowhere because my wife has called Frankfurt several times. Oh, we'll send you a form. 
nothing ever happens. Well, and, and who does Constable Wallace answer to? He's kind of like the Long Ranger out there, you know what I'm saying? So, John, what makes these constables so powerful? Well, the legislation that's been in place forever gives them all the authority they need legally. And then it seems like local law enforcement doesn't do much to curtail what they're doing. And the county fiscal courts have definitely enabled even greater powers for many of the constables throughout the state. Yeah, the county fiscal court has some responsibility here because they are enabling these guys. They're the ones that allow them to have blue lights and cop cars. But then on top of that, you have the state auditor who should be tracking all these properties and cash that they're seizing, but they're not. There's like no record keeping. And possibly maybe the most egregious thing of all is just the willful blindness of local judges, prosecutors, all these people who, I mean, come on, they know this is going on and yet they keep aggressively prosecuting people with the rocket docket. Yeah, it just seems like that these constables, it's like everybody understands that there's something wrong and nobody's doing anything about it at all. Even when they have the the power and authority to do it and these prosecutors, these judges, these state oversight committees, nobody seems to want to step up and do anything to even just curtail what they're doing, much less stop it. But I found one guy who actually is trying to do something about it. Here's Kentucky State Representative Adam Koenig. It's a literally a 19th century idea that is overdue to be changed. What, what drew your attention to the constable position? So I was a Kenton County Commissioner. And in 2002, we had a gentleman by the name of Ron Ferrier, who was elected constable. And he was very active. Their job is to serve papers and check the courthouse and collect taxes. But he wanted to exercise all the duties. And uh, we discouraged that. One day, pulled over an off-duty police officer. And that off-duty police officer reported and he was arrested. He was, I believe, convicted of a felony. So that, that brought my interest in into it. And most people in this state, especially where I live, have no idea that constables exist, have no idea what they do, and are stunned when they learn that they have full peace officer powers, just like police officers. One county over in Laurel County, a constable in like a convenience store found some dude who was had an active warrant on him, tried to serve him or approach him, and things happened. There was a shootout, and the constable killed the dude. And I'm like, well, this is going to help me out. Didn't phase anybody. Are there any constitutional mechanisms in place to remove an elected official like this? Sure. We have impeachment. And has there ever been an attempt to impeach a constable? I don't believe so. My first attempt was to just eliminate them, which would take a constitutional amendment. Because we have 120 counties in Kentucky, which is too many. But this bill failed. It didn't get any traction. So we tried again. I downshifted into just allowing each county fiscal court to decide whether or not they were going to allow constables in their county. That bill didn't go anywhere either. I thought that was a compromise for the ones that wanted to keep them. And so in 2019, I just focused on the police officer powers and statute. State Representative Koenig thought, well, maybe I can't abolish the position of the constable. 
But what if we just took away some of their power? They can do plenty of other things, including serving papers, and no one can stop you from directing traffic. I'm guessing that didn't go anywhere either? Yes, that didn't go anywhere. This year, I watered it down even further and got through the committee and got through the House for the first time ever. A, a bill to provide some training because that's what the constables complain about is, well, then train us. Our police officers, they go through a 20-week training on-site, don't go home sort of thing. And when to pass, not only do you have to show competency in all those things, but you have to go pass a physical examination, including running a nine-minute mile. And that's not really, I think, realistic for a lot of these constables. John, have you seen a picture of these guys? Both Michael Wallace and Gary Baldock, let's just say they are a little robust. (laughs) Yeah, they don't look like they just got out of the police academy and had been doing push-ups and pull-ups. You got to be able to do the job and you look at these guys and you think, he probably can't run up a flight of stairs. Constables would have to take 20 weeks out of their life and go and stay there and train. And they're required to pass the same physical test yes. that a law enforcement officer. This would be grandfathering in all the current constables. So Wallace, knowing his physical condition, he probably wouldn't be able to pass that test. Correct. And yeah. I think that goes for most of the constables. Mm-hmm. Do you expect it to pass? I. That is up for debate. It's going to be harder in the Senate. If this bill would pass... Who would pay for the training? I would really love to have them fit the bill, but we have a, we call it the CLEF fund. It is a, a fund to train police officers that is paid for through a tax on your insurance. John, I talked to Representative Koenig about David Jones' case. You know, he's the one that woke up in the middle of the night with a gun to his face. When the constables entered David Jones's apartment that morning, they didn't have a no-knock warrant, but for all, from all indications, they didn't do anything to identify themselves as law enforcement to give the uh, occupants enough time to come and answer the door. They just went into the house. Now, they used a key so they didn't have to break down the door. However, this is a highly contentious area, the idea of law enforcement using no-knock warrants. Especially in Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. And this, this was not a no-knock warrant, but it was it was executed as if it were one. But no-knock warrants are should be very rare and only used when you have very compelling evidence that the person or persons inside are going to cause potentially either some kind of harm to law enforcement or something along those lines. Uh, the bill that's trying to restrict the no-knock warrants yes. passed in the Kentucky Senate. If I think most people are familiar with Breonna Taylor, who was shot in her home last year by police officers who were executing multiple warrants. And then, of course, she was killed in a shootout with the police and her boyfriend, who was there shooting back. The person they were looking for did not live at that address. So the bill puts a lot of restrictions on no-knock warrants. There's obviously people who think that there's no place for them at all. Law enforcement will tell you differently. We have three questionable constables here in Pulaski County in Kentucky. Constable Wallace, Constable Baldock, and Constable Strunk. But for the most part, a lot of people appreciate the work that they're doing in in the state because they're relieving a lot of what law enforcement typically does, right? So some people see them as necessary, but others want this position to be abolished. 
Sure. And you know what? Let's keep the good where they're active parts of their community. They're patrolling and keeping an eye out. They're helping direct traffic for funerals. They serve papers. They do all that stuff. Okay, great. They don't do that in my part of the world, but if they do it in some of these other counties, fine. But let's not allow them to take away someone's liberty because they feel like playing cop. So hopefully one day when 40 years from now, when I'm old and no one remembers who I am, I'll see an article in the Lexington Herald Leader that says, there's one constable left in the state that still can arrest you. Here's the story behind it. But uh, that's what I needed to do to get it down the path. Representative Koenig got the law through the state legislature. However, he only got it through the Senate committee, but it didn't go any further. Next time on Criminal Conduct. So remember that FBI tip that Tim Jones gave earlier in the episode? Well, that's going to come back to bite them. They didn't know he was an undercover FBI agent. And they arrested him, they searched him, they searched a hotel room. They Basically, they put on a show for the federal government of exactly what 20 other people have said they'd been doing. So I called Constable Michael Wallace, who is currently out on bond, to get his side of the story. Please speak to Wally. Yes, ma'am. That's next time on Criminal Conduct. A special thanks to our executive producer, AdvertiseCast, and Ruby Rose Fox for allowing us to use her song, Bury the Body, during our intro. Her music is available anywhere you can purchase music. If you enjoy the podcast, find us on social media at CriminalCon. And please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Also, check out our other podcasts, Twisted and Pretend. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts. You're not a bad man, you're not a bad man, I'm not a bad woman. You're not a bad man, you're not a bad man, I'm not a bad woman.